0: Join me in Hebrews chapter ten, please. Verse thirty seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. We're gonna look at these verses for a little while this morning. Hebrews ten, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. I'm gonna give a little emphasis to the middle part of that, uh verse thirty eight, is what we're see probably more than any other part. Hebrews 10. We are in a study of the coming of Christ. And uh, there are several things to cover as we go through this. And I hope that uh, the Lord challenges us thoroughly with this information. Heavenly Father, help us today. We submit ourselves to you because you're what we need. If we're going to know your word, if we're going to live your word, uh, we are dependent upon you. And so we acknowledge that at the very onset of our time in our study today for us to hear it, to understand it, to believe it, to do it, that all is dependent upon you. And we come to you, Lord, and say, not only be our teacher, but be our motivator today and do your work in our lives. Convince us, Lord, of your truth. Challenge us with it. Give us the courage to live it, too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hebrews ten We're all there, right? For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. This is an interesting passage. Really, it's quite rich with thought. Uh, The sermon series, The Coming of Christ, in three stanzas and a chorus. That's what I told you last week is my official title for this. Um, Each each and every day that we go by, we step one, one step closer to the coming of Christ. Still, I hope it's today. And yet, I gave you a strategy that I like to think of for daily living. I am to live as if today is the day, and yet I am to live as if my job isn't finished yet. Let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're looking at the coming of Christ in three stanzas. The stanzas are the first coming of Christ, which is his birth. We celebrate that in December, coming up pretty soon. There's another coming of Christ for the church. We call that the rapture of the church. There is a final coming of Christ. More times than not, we give the term theologically as the second coming of Christ. And sometimes that confuses us because we thought, I thought the rapture was the second coming of Christ. If you're going numerically, you would say there's three comings. If you're dealing with technically when he touches on the earth, There's two comings, because the rapture, he doesn't come to the earth, he meets us in the air. So that's why there's a technicality issue in this. I like to call it the first coming, another coming, and the final coming. And so that's the way we're going to walk through this and talk through this, and I hope I'm not confusing. But I do believe with all my heart that uh, not only is Jesus Christ able to come today for us, it's possible. I hold to that with... And I trust in that because God says so. And we're going to have a week on that. Maybe more. I don't know. I love that theme. The rapture of the church. But also I firmly believe in the second coming of Christ, which I call the final coming. When he will come to this earth. And he will literally be on this earth and reign from this earth right in Jerusalem. We will be with him. And it's going to be an exciting thousand years, folks. There's a lot to that. I I could just ramble for hours on that, but I can't today. I've got to deal with the chorus. Because there's three stanzas and a chorus, and the chorus is always a hook. It's a part that puts it all together. And I told you what the chorus was last week, and it's simply this. The righteous man shall live by faith. Or as you might have it in your translation and memorize it, the just shall live by faith. That is a very important statement. Not only for what we know to be true about our Christian walk, but in light of the coming of Christ, we must put these things together. That we shall live by faith. Concerning the rapture, we shall live by faith. Concerning the second coming of Christ, we shall live by faith. And those are not things we could separate. And that's why I want to talk to you today About something I think is very important. And that's in verse number 38 here. The righteous man shall live by faith. This has to be quite established as we go through all our our discussion about these comings. Because if it is a course, it's what holds the thoughts together. And we're going to be on this thought. And I thought, well, maybe we should start with the course. And then go back to the stanzas. And explain how each of those are related to that. And what was expected there but this is an interesting thing that the Lord had asked in one of his messages in the book of Luke if you want to see it it's in chapter 18 and it's the first eight verses and I'm just going to read it off to you because Jesus asked a very important question he says in Luke 18 verse 1 now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him. Saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterwards he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow bothers me. I, will, I love that translation, don't you? Because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, here comes the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. What do you want to say to that? If we're here, we'd like it to be that way, right? We want him to find that. We want him to find that. Now, this question just naturally sets up the whole point of the sermon. A lot of things to address concerning our faith, and how we should be living it. And honestly, folks, when I took that verse and I said, well, I want to preach on faith and how we're supposed to be living that out, I found out that the topic is huge. (laughs) You could exhaust yourself studying it. And I could probably exhaust both of us in trying to preach on it. Because the Bible is absolutely full of verses on faith. Have you ever noticed that? Especially the epistles written to the church, believers specifically. Faith, 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 faith. And what's interesting is, it's expected of us. Not just to know about faith, but to live it. To live it. Now, As I started putting this together, and I said, "Well, I want to I want to speak on the just shall live by faith." That sounds like a short little verse; should take us ten minutes. We're done, right? No, it's it's going to be next week, all right, and maybe a couple weeks. But we're going to get to that verse. But I noticed something as you can see it here in Hebrews chapter ten too. It comes with a warning. It comes with a warning. You notice just about everything anymore you buy comes with a warning. Seems like the first couple of pages of any instruction manual is warning, 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 warning. I decided I needed a a bicycle because, uh, well, we might need that pretty soon. (laughs) And I thought, well, I need the exercise anyway. And coming down to the church, to the office and everything else, I just get a bicycle. I don't trust myself with two wheels. It has three. All right? And so, it's got a basket. I could carry my, my stuff in the back of the basket and everything. The only thing I have to do is figure out how to get it out of third gear. Because going up the hill back to the parsonage is rough. That's not for me. So, I've got to do some work on that. But it comes with all these rules and warnings about writing a buy I didn't have those as a kid, did you? Matter of fact, I have to tell you, it's a wonder I'm alive. The way we rode a bike when I was a kid, and many of you probably would say the same story. It's a wonder we even lived to our childhood. The things we did with a bike, well, let me put it this way. There was one thing particularly we did with the bike that my mom forbade. And guess what? We found other ways of doing it. Uh, But if she caught us doing it, we were in really bad trouble. So we didn't do it at home. We did it other places which was basically jumping with our bikes. And we would set up you know, little ramps off the neighbors' driveways and everything else. And, and the wonderful thing was we lived on a long street. It was a dead end road, so very few cars on it. And you could pick up a lot of speed. It was about a quarter of a mile long. And by the time you hit that ramp, boy, well, you could fly. And we loved it. It was really exciting to do that. And of course, make sure mom wasn't around. Um, But uh, we noticed one day that our neighbor set up this huge pile of dirt on the side of his yard. Apparently he was going to do some project with it. And it stood about this tall, and it was well-rounded. And guess what we thought? (laughs) There's a good one. all right. It's made for us, and there was room on the other side to land. So we'd come all the way down the street. This was the last house on the street. And we'd come off the street and hit that ramp and... Whoa, boy, we were airborne. That was a lot of fun, too. And then we realized, you know, we have a two-seated bike. And let's see what that can do on a ramp like this. With two people pushing as hard as they could. It was exciting, folks. I lived through it. I'll tell you that much. But uh, you don't want to sit in the front seat. That's what (laughs) I found out. That was not a good idea. But... We we did things like that. And it, honestly, if we had warnings or had at least listened to our mother, it would have been better off for us. But it's interesting to me how so many things in life we say, well, there are warnings out there. But hey, I'm me. I do it my way. Uh, when it comes to faith, do you know there's warnings with it? And we're going to look at some of them today. And I want to be very, very careful when we walk through these. Because number one, faith is not something to take lightly. It's not something to take lightly. God doesn't take it lightly. And so we shouldn't either. But at the same time, I don't want to be confusing with what I want to share with you today. I want to be very careful in walking through the warnings that we're going to look at because they can easily be misunderstood. Verse number 38, where he says, The just shall live by faith. He goes on to say something else. That's really quite interesting. Let me see where I found it. Uh, I didn't turn the page yet. Okay. Um, the, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. I'm glad that second verse is on there because it helps us. Uh When the writer of Hebrews wrote this verse, he stated something that sounds so alarming, doesn't he? It sounds alarming. And it could lead to a very incorrect view of what you are seeing here. First of all, he's not talking about your salvation. All right? For you to say, I have faith, a saving faith... And then to lose that, that's contradictory to what the rest of Scripture says. And I don't believe God ever contradicts himself. But there is a warning here. Some people look at this verse and say, well, if you, if you stop walking by faith, you're doomed. Well, that's not what it says. Study it carefully with me, just for a minute. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul the writer is very careful to state that we are not of those who shrink back to destruction but and that but in verse number 39 is the strongest one he could put in the text in the greek language The strongest contrast he could ever show. He says, this is what I need here. We are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So he sets the table. First of all, he says, I'm not talking about your salvation here. But I am talking about another kind of warning. And so we have to ask, then what is it you're talking about? What is this shrinking back thing that you're warning us about? Well, actually, if you see it's all in all caps, and some translations are like that. They're all caps. Some translations don't have it this way. But New American Standard Version puts it in all capital letters all the way through. And the reason they do that is to say, that's an Old Testament verse. All right? Now, some of you might have, instead, you might have a footnote next to it. And it says, see this verse, or see that verse, or something of that nature. And if you do, you will find it's pulling verse number 38 from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Now... Keep your place right here and go back and find that for me. We were there last week, so if you could remember what page number it was on, you could find it easier. Uh, or you realize you gotta go through all the minor prophets and remember uh Habakkuk follows the book of um uh let's see, Nahum. Does that help? And it's just before Zephaniah. Or, like I said, Page one thousand six hundred and ninety four. In this section of Habakkuk, chapter two, verse number four, the verse in which the Hebrew writer quotes from, he says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but his righteous will but the righteous will live by his faith. Do you find that Something funny is going on here. Okay, keep looking at the text right there in Hebrew, or Habakkuk. Keep your eyes right there. And I'm going to read to Hebrews again. He quotes, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Do you see something different? Habakkuk says, As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Now, was there an error here? Was there a mistake made? Well, the Holy Spirit was directing both of them to write. The Holy Spirit told Habakkuk, write it this way. And then when the Hebrew writer was writing it, he says, write it this way. And so the writer of the Hebrews passage, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given to us something quite interesting. You ready? The writer of Hebrews tells you the result of a proud soul. Habakkuk warns against the proud soul, the heart that's proud. This one has a soul that is not right. Habakkuk says that. Behold, the proud man, his soul is not right. Would you agree with that anyway? I hope so. Because God has an opinion about pride. You want to know what it is? He hates it. (laughs) He can't stand it. God stands opposed to the proud. You picture just in your mind, a proud person coming this way, walking across there, and then God's coming this way. God's going to stand in His path every time. Because God's opposed to the proud. He does not like the proud. He's got strong opinions on the proud. He... Hates pride. It's all over the Old Testament. You could see it. He does not bless the proud. He never will. Now in reference to Hebrews 10.39, there's a commentator by the name of Bengal. And Bengal helped to clarify this passage to a lot of us. He said this. Habakkuk states the cause of drawing back. Habakkuk states the cause. The cause is... A soul lifted up in self-inflated unbelief setting itself up against God. That we call pride. Habakkuk emphasizes the pride as the cause that leads to God saying he's not right. Hebrews shows the effect. God doesn't take pleasure in him. God doesn't take pleasure in him. So Habakkuk states the cause, Hebrews states the effect. He who is not right in his own soul does not stand right with God. God has no pleasure in him. Make sense? So those two passages work that way. God wanted it written that way. That's the way he had it put in those two passages. I want to ask you something. Because Hebrews was written to believers. And the question is, can a believer ever become prideful? Oh, really? They can? Oh, I know it. Yes, believers can become prideful. Is that a good thing to do? No. Do you think God just overlooks it because you're a believer? says, oh, sure. They can have a little pride here. I don't care. I don't think he says that. Can a believer, let me ask a hard question, looking at Hebrews again. Can a believer lose the pleasure of God in his life? Hmm. Yes. We're not talking about salvation, are we? We're talking about the blessings that come throughout one's life. What is the antidote to pride? Do you know? The just man shall live by faith. Because faith, that you live by, is not trusting yourself. It's trusting him. That will change it every time. Because when we trust ourselves, guess what works into that picture? Pride. And so the picture is standing before us as a warning passage. A warning passage. Yes, we're supposed to live by faith. Yes, yes, yes. But don't step back from that. The minute you do, pride's stepping in. And God doesn't take pleasure in that. God wants you to trust Him, doesn't He? How often? Always. <laughs> We're going to get into that more next week. But that's the difference in this passage that I think is very important. Let me give you another tough one. Ready? Another warning passage. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Hebrews you're just past it. It's before uh Hebrews. First Timothy, you got Titus in there too. You got Second Timothy. But first Timothy chapter four. Oh, be ready for this one. Another warning passage, and it is related to faith. Okay? Verse number one. Let's start there. 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in lighter times some will fall away from the faith. Woo! Flashing lights, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocates, abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared by, in, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. All right, let's start with verse 1. Some will fall away from the faith. The passage is talking about faith. And some say, well, it's talking about the doctrine of the faith. That some will turn from it and pay attention to things that are not the faith. Deceitful spirits. Doctrines of demons. Living as hypocrites and living out their bad doctrines by bad actions. Of course, believers don't do that, do they? You ever hear a believer? You know they're a believer but they have really weird theology. say, what's wrong with that person? Have you ever seen bad theology lead to bad actions? Matter of fact, I'll tell you something real simple. Bad doctrine does lead to bad actions. It's almost inevitable that that's going to happen. You can be sure where there is bad beliefs, there are bad behaviors coming. Paul warns by the Spirit himself, that in the last days, as he says here in verse number one, in the last days, there will be, it will be characterized by those who teach and practice things other than the truth. Is that possible? Oh, yes. <laughs> We're in that day, folks. It's all around us. He goes on to stress, by the way, in this same paragraph, The importance of solid teaching. Look at verse 6. Just look down there for a minute. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. So what is the warning here? What is this falling away thing? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, if pride can cause us to lose favor with God in our lives. Trying to live contrary to the faith will cause us to follow bad doctrines and produce bad action. Is it possible for a believer to step into this? I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm talking about their behavior. Is it possible? Paul warns against that. In Ephesians, especially chapter number 4, he talks about the fact that we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine and all all the waves that come along us. But if we're immature, we're going to. We're going to be like uh, uh, Christians inside a washing machine when it starts its cycle. We're going to be rolling all over inside there. And this is what the warning is, because we must be nourished in the truth. And if we're not nourished in the truth, we are setting up for a fall. This kind of fall hurts. Because it's not only a a place where you start to believe somebody else's doctrine that isn't true, but you get so enamored with it and so engaged in it that you start to live bad lifestyle. That is going on in our culture today. Churches are teaching things that are contrary to God's word. I spent a whole year on that in the book of Jude. But that's happening today, and people are falling for it. Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ are listening to people telling them they can live however they want. It's all under God's grace. It doesn't matter. That's scary, folks. But that's going on. And this is what another warning comes with faith. Is it possible that we who say, I'm of the faith, can fall from it? Yeah, that's the danger. Or we could start living out bad lives because we've stepped away from the truth. Let me look at another one with you. Go to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 14. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like talking about warnings. (laughs) I don't like this. I've got other things I'd really like to spend a lot of time with. But again, this is necessary for us to understand that God does not take faith lightly. What he calls us to is so important, so important, that we are in danger if we're not paying attention. 2 Timothy 2.14 Remind them of these things, Paul starts to write. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words. That's happening today. It's been going on for a long time. In the presence of God, not wrangle about words, which is useless. And notice, leads to the ruin of the hearers. Oh. But be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Or you might have the word study there. Great word. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. He's talking to a believer. For it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Is gangrene ever a good thing? Somebody say, well, I just have a little bit of it. I don't think that's a good thing to even have a little bit of. It spreads like gangrene, it says. Among them are Hyminius and Philetus. We don't know anything about these guys except that you don't want them in your church. Men who have gone astray... This is an archery term. You've seen it before when we talked about uh, uh, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We usually talk about an archery term when we give that picture of, of pulling it back and aiming for the target and missing by a mile. Same word. They have gone astray. They've missed the mark on the truth. Oh, they took a shot, but it was a bad one. What did they say? saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they have upset, upset the faith of some. I think that would bother me too. If I didn't know much else about Scripture and I was believing that Jesus Christ was going to come again and, and I was going to be part of a resurrection and I was going to go up to be with Him in glory and then the preacher gets up and says, by the way, you missed it. You know what? That would be a very bad morning. <laughs> I would say, That's terrible! You just rattled me on the inside. Asked the Thessalonians. They had the same issue. 2nd Thessalonians is all about that. Because somebody came in there and said, Oh, by the way, you missed it. Oops. <laughs> That'd be terrible to read about, to say anything. He says, that's what these guys have done. This is their teaching. It missed the mark entirely about the truth. And because of that, They've upset the faith of sun. The upset word here is they cause them to spin round and, round and round and round and round and round and they don't have any bearing. They're not solid. We used to play that game where you'd spin in circles along the line and then you try to stand still. And you always just get dizzy and you're falling over. That's kind of funny. You want to try it? No? Never mind. We have a lot of people on the floor in here. They have to call the paramedics to come and fix this. Uh, but uh, this is what the result is with bad teaching. These people have upset the faith. That's what bad teaching does. It takes your faith and spins it in circles and you don't know which end is right, which end is wrong. You don't know right from left. You can't tell what's happening here. But here's the beauty of it. Verse 19 says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. (laughs) False teaching doesn't change the truth. It never will. But there is a link between the teaching of truth and the response of the people. And if we teach something that's not true, then it can confuse people. It can have bad effects on people. Bad teaching puts people in a spin, into confusion. I want to be very careful when I'm teaching to you, because that's a danger to your faith. I don't want to be the one who causes you to be confused. I don't want to do that. I want to help in all these things. Because if we're going to walk by faith, we have to know there are certain things that are dangerous out there. Things that would step up in, in a short while create a bad scenario. What we've found so far is that pride is in essence the opposite of faith. And we don't want that, do we? We're going to walk by faith. Let's deal with the pride. Pride is walking by your own wisdom rather than walking by faith in the Lord. Pride causes you to lose favor with God in your life. He doesn't take pleasure in that. Trying to live contrary to faith will cause us to live out bad doctrines and produce bad actions. And bad doctrines create confusion. So how important is it to study as a good worker Approved by God and not ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How important is that now? It has everything to do with your faith and my faith. As Paul told the Corinthians, here's one verse: First Corinthians two five. Listen carefully. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Did you hear it? I'll do it again. Your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man but on the power of God. Your faith. What do we really know about this thing called faith? We talk about it all the time, the just shall live by faith. But honestly, folks, it's as if it's a bumper sticker. It sounds cute. It looks like a great plaque for the wall. We put it up. We've even memorized it because we've heard it enough. It's an inspirational thought. But in reality... Are we living it out? Are we living out what that verse says? The just shall live by faith. It's meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived. Not just understood. Not just a desire that we really ought to have. But it's to be lived. It it grieves me, honestly, with all the voices in what we call the Christian camp. When you get down to faith, how confusing all the answers are. (laughs) That shouldn't be. Scripture makes it somewhat easy. Honestly, I believe so. What faith is. God's not confused. And His Word's not confusing. He just says it as it is. It's just over time we've put on the spin cycle. (laughs) And a lot of people are confused about what is faith. What does it look like? Where does it come from? What, how do you do it? How do you do it? All those things are important, and that's some of the questions we're going to ask in the next couple of weeks. What is it? What is this faith? How do we live this faith? Those are important questions. But I want to go a little step further than just the what and the how, and I'm going to ask the question, why? Why must we live by faith? Why? Why? What's, what's so important that we must walk by faith? It's very interesting to me that the more closely you relate that to the coming of Christ, the clearer it gets. Let's just say the fact remains that Christ came the first time in his birth. Christ will come a second time to meet us in the air. Christ will come That final time to set up his kingdom on this earth. You know what? For you and me, all of that has to be believed by faith right now. You know why? I'm pretty sure that none of you were here when Jesus was born. And if you were, you're not going to confess to it, are you? You weren't here. You read it in this book. Do you believe it's true? That's an issue of faith. Jesus Christ is coming again. I believe with all my heart in the rapture. (laughs) I believe it could happen at any minute, like I told you. It might not happen for 150 more years. I hope not. But still, Peter believed that too. Paul believed that too. We've had 2,000 years of people who believe that. And guess how they had to live? By the same faith you must live by right now. We believe that Christ is coming to set up his kingdom on this earth. I'll be very adamant about it. And when we get to it, you're going to see that. Literally, on this earth. That is going to be very, very fascinating to see. When you see all the players and pieces of our earth today fighting for power. Who's got this? Who's got that? Let's scare this person to death. Let's scare that person. And all that goes on in our world and in our politics, we see it all the time. Jesus Christ's kingdom will not only destroy the others, but it will last them all. Outlast them. You're going to see it yourself. That blows me away. I'm going to love it, love it, love it to see that day coming. But it hasn't happened yet. So guess how I have to believe it? By faith. That is a call for all of us. That's not only about these certain events that are going to take place, but it says we live by faith. And we're going to get into this more and more, but the point is, I'm going to live today as if today is the day Christ is coming. And yet I'm going to live today as if my job isn't finished yet. Because I don't know the day and the hour, and neither do you. All I could do is walk by faith. We live in light of the coming of Christ. We walk by faith. You know how important this is to the Lord? He quotes the same verse four times in Scripture. Not many verses get that much attention. Habakkuk wrote it in the first place. The just shall live by faith. When Paul's writing to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, And the just shall live by faith. And then he's writing to the Galatians. Quite a few years later, and right in the middle of chapter number 3, verse 11, he says, And the just shall live by faith. And then whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, when he got to it in chapter 10, and verse 38, he says, guess what we need right now? The just shall live by faith. All of those contexts are very important. We're going to walk through all of those, but let's cite it for what it is. God's expectations are real. This is not optional material for any of us. There are warnings. There are dangers. You can get your pride in the way of this. You can listen to bad doctrine and end up in bad behavior. all because you weren't paying attention to the truth. He will not change. He calls today, like he called for years and years and years in the past, that just shall live by faith. And he will not change that phrase. He will not change it. Culture can't change it. Politics can't change it. Theologians can't change it. Pastors can't change it. God said it. It stays. And his expectation of you and me is the same that he's had for everybody else in this church or in the history of the church or even, even into the Old Testament. He expects the righteous man to live by faith. So let's talk about that next week, okay? I love this passage. We got more to do. But let's talk to the Lord about where we are right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you today because when there's warning passages, we have to evaluate and see where are we in this verse to walk by faith? Have we been prideful, Lord? Have we walked by our own wisdom, our own planning, our own direction? Have we walked in some fashion of our own self-interest? Have we promoted ourselves or maybe another man on this earth to be the director of our faith? Have we inserted pride in any of this, Lord? That warning is before us today because we cannot walk by pride and walk by faith simultaneously. It doesn't work that way. So, Lord, if if you're, if you're showing it to us that clearly today, we must take this to heart. We must ask if we have pride that is preventing our walk by faith. And Lord, we'll add the other warnings too. If we have been believing things contrary to your word, if we have heard it and we accepted it, we followed after it, we didn't investigate, but we just followed it. The dangers of falling, the dangers of being confused are right there in front of us. And that's not so uncommon in our world today. We have so many who are being led astray by the false teaching of those who tell us what they think faith ought to be. Lord, we come to you. We say, you teach us, Lord. Use your word in our hearts and in our lives and change us to be the kind of person that walks by faith today and always and we'll keep an eye on your coming Lord Jesus for we know it's true may we live in light of it may we be characterized as men and women who walk by faith children who walk by faith the world desperately needs to see an example like this Lord if you'll be pleased to use us we'll be thank you we're we'll thank you for that Lord, work in our hearts, we pray. Help us to understand. Help us to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.